Um, Genesis 16 chapter. We read verses 1 through 15, a uh, section of scripture that is familiar with many. And uh, this is the title of the lesson. Do you know any invisible people? (laughs) And Cameron walked up here and he said, what's the title of your lesson? And I said, do you know any invisible people? And he said, what do you mean? It's like, is that a joke? I said, that's the title of the lesson. And he's like, well, okay. Hopefully this will make sense by the time we get through this lesson. We read verses 1 through 15. We'll focus more on verses about 1 through 11. But uh, happy Mother's Day. And somebody might ask, is this a Mother's Day lesson? And I would say, kind of. And it is, kind of, and I hope you see uh, where this uh, Mother's Day fits in. But I also wanted to mention this. Because of uh, our current sort of situation, there have been those uh, first responders, police and fire and paramedics and nurses and doctors and people working in nursing homes and and all these kind of uh, different capacities within our society, that we've recognized more now maybe than we have in the past. And and so we've become more appreciative of some of those folks more than we have in the past. And so I guess that's kind of where the Mother's Day thing comes in too, right? You know, it's like sometimes there are situations where we really appreciate moms more than maybe uh, we do at other times. All those folks have been there all along, right? But something has happened to cause us to then see them, so to speak. And and that's the way it is with moms. And so sometimes it has been said, moms are invisible. (laughs) And and, and the reason why I think that's said is because you just kind of expect them to be there and whenever I need something, uh, I want mom to, you know, respond to that. And uh, sometimes we don't really see them the way we should see them. And that can apply to most anybody, can it not? So as we get going this morning, I'm going to ask you, have you ever been invisible? <laughs> You know, in those, probably the first time I ever saw this kind of situation where it really made me think about this, I think it was a sitcom. There's three people in the room. Two people are talking, and they're talking about the person that's sitting there. And the person says, hey, (laughs) I can hear you. (laughs) And it's like, am I invisible? (laughs) And, and, And they're talking about that person. So sometimes, I think we've all, at one time or another maybe felt invisible. So I want you to keep that in mind as we take a look at that, or look at this lesson this morning, and ask yourself, do you know any invisible people? And you can put yourself in there. Genesis, the 16th chapter, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 again. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my handmaid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. 
that Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. When Abram was called, he was 75. It's pretty easy to do the math, right? (laughs) He's now 85. It's been ten years since God made that statement to him, that promise to him, I am going to bless you and make of you a great nation. It's been 10 years. So far, it hasn't happened. So Sarai comes up with this idea. (laughs) Just take Hagar. And Abram's like, okay. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my handmaid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. What do you think? Interesting kind of story, isn't it? Genesis 16, verse 1 and 2. Sarai had not had any children. She has a handmaid. She decides, hey, maybe I can have children by this handmaid. And decides she'll give her to Abram. Verse 5, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. What's Sarah saying? Whose ideal was it? Sarah's, wasn't it? And so she decides to give Hagar to Abram. Abram says, okay. She becomes pregnant. She looks at Sarah with contempt. Sarah now despises her and she blames Abraham. (laughs) Did anybody think this was going to work out okay? (laughs) So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. What's Abram? And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abram didn't really stand up to anybody, did he? (laughs) Sarah comes up with this idea. He goes along with it. It turns out the way Sarah said it was going to turn out. And then she's upset with Abraham. And then Abraham's like, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. And so Sarah deals harshly with Hagar. To the point, now we're not given all the details, but you can think for yourself. How long did this go on and how harsh did it become? To the point where Hagar, pregnant, a servant girl, Flees 
and runs off into the desert. So here's Hagar. Her body is being used to help an infertile couple have children. Did you read anywhere in there where it said, Hagar, <laughs> come in here and sit down. A We'd like to discuss something with you. What are your thoughts about this idea that Sarah has? What are your feelings? Because you are going to be intricately, intimately involved in this whole thing. What do you think, Hagar? Didn't read that, did you? Is Hagar just invisible? Well, not physically. She's not. But as a person, she is. So when she does become pregnant, Sarai treats her harshly to the point where Hagar finally runs away. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted, shall they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Do you know what the name Ishmael means? It means the God who hears. God hears. Hagar, I hear you. And you're going to have a son. In fact, you're going to become a multitude. And I want you to name him Ishmael. God hears. But there's an interesting question that the angel of the Lord asked Hagar. He says, where are you from and where are you going? Once again, it's just as important to notice what is said as what is not said. And so the angel asks her, where are you from and where are you going? And the, point, or the, the part that she answers is where she is from. I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. <laughs> where are you headed? Well, they never get around to answering that, did she? She knew where she was from. She just didn't know where she was going. She knew what she was running from. But she didn't really know what she was running 
2. What she does know is this. I don't like being treated as a non-person. I know what I'm running from. I don't like the way I was treated. And it got so bad, I had to run. So she knows what she doesn't want. She's been referred to as a handmaid, a servant girl. And Abram tells Sarah, do with her as you please. (laughs) So she's been used. She's been abused. And now she has run away. She knows what she's running from. She's just not sure where she's going to run to. But God knows. God knows. Hagar, you're going to have a son, and I want you to name him Ishmael. God hears. I hear you, Hagar. And I know what you're running from. You don't really know where you're running to, but I know where you need to run to. And I'm going to help you to realize it. Hagar, you're going to have a child. There's going to become a multitude. And I want you to name him Ishmael. God hears. See, Hagar, that's where you need to get to. You know what you're running from. Now, I'm going to help you to see where you need to run to. You need to run to that place where you know that you're hurt. Somebody understands you, Hagar. You've not been considered as a person, but God considers you as a person. God will treat you like a real person. God will treat you like a whole human being. And see, Hagar, I've got a plan for you. You're going to have a child. And you're going to name him Ishmael. And it's going to become a multitude. So, Hagar, I want you to go back. Verses 9 through 11 again. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that you shall not be counted for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. See, now God is not just Abram's God. He's not just Sarah's. God. Now he's Hagar's God. Verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees in the Hebrew that is Elroy. 
Not only are you the God who hears, you are the God who sees. Can we see that? God sees her. (laughs) I know you, Hagar. I know you are a whole person. I know you haven't been treated that way, but I want you to know, Hagar, I hear you. I see you. And so she names him the God who sees. Why is that important? Because Hagar knew what she was running from. But she needed to understand also where she needed to run to. She needed to run to that place where she would know that she is seen as a whole person. A whole person created in God's image. A whole person that is always, always considered. Always valued. Always seen as whole. That's the way God sees people. Sometimes we don't see people like that. But God wants Hagar to know that's the way I see you. God wants her to know that. God wants us to know that. Because if you ever feel invisible, God wants you to know you're not. Someone has said, it is through our deepest need is where we experience God in the deepest way. And then they ask the question, what would you name God? Would you name him the God of love? Would you name him the God who comforts? Would you name him the God who guides? Would you name him the God who forgives? Would you name him the God of second chances? Or third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth? Where do you experience him? This is where Hagar was experiencing him. And so she calls him the God who sees. He sees me. That should have been with the previous section. (laughs) Invisible people. Hagar. Started out as invisible, but she found out God sees her. Now then, the God who sees you. First Samuel, the 16th chapter, and verse 7. And I'll just sort of paraphrase. Most of you probably recall this is when God is looking for a king, a person to be king over Israel. 
and he goes, sends his prophet to Jesse. And Jesse brings out all of his sons until finally <laughs> he brings out David. And it's like everybody's saying, it's not David. <laughs> and then God says, you don't understand. I don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. See, I see David. You just see the outward. But God says, no, I see David. I want you to hold that thought and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. There's going to be a couple of thoughts I'll ask you to hold on to today because I think it's important that when we tie them together, we can see the implications of what is being said. So God wants you to know He looks at the person. He looks at their heart. He knows them. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse six, but you... When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Some translations say reward you. When you pray... Go into your closet. Go into your room. Close the door. It's between you and God. And pray. And your Father who is in secret sees you in secret. And He will reward you. And the point to be made from that is, first point is, realize this. You may think you're all alone. (laughs) But know that God sees you. That's the first point. That's that's the point he's making. See, because they had a problem with wanting to go and stand on the street corner where everybody could see them when they pray. He said, no. (laughs) You go to your quiet place. You go to your closet and you pray. And I'm telling you, your father in secret sees you. That's the point. He sees you. And you pray. And it's like Ishmael. He hears. (laughs) And he sees you. So you can pour out your heart. And there's no pretense here. You're not putting on a show for anybody. It's between you and God. And He sees you. He knows your real feelings. He knows your real experiences. He knows your real ups. He knows your real downs. He knows your real pleasures. He knows your real pain. He's always there. 24-7. 365. Every minute, every hour, every day, He's there. And He sees you. A well-known author, journalist, actually from here locally, he said this. You don't really understand human nature 
unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time he comes around and every time they will wave back. <laughs> he said, you don't really understand human nature unless you understand that. <laughs> that kid going around every time. <laughs> look, at, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and the parents, are, you know, they want the kid to know, yeah, we see you. And he said, if you, if you want to understand human nature, you need to understand that. There is a fundamental need that we have to be seen. Some have it more than others, than they have it. <laughs> but I digress. We have a fundamental need to be seen. Why? Because when you know that you're seen, you feel significant. I matter to somebody. Somebody cares enough to watch. Watch me. Watch me. And we do goofy things. And watch me. But that's fundamental. <clears throat> they care. That says, I care about you. When we know they're watching. Psalms 139 chapter. Maybe one of these days I'll just do a lesson just on Psalms 139. But that whole psalm is about God knowing us and knowing us intimately. The psalmist begins, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. It's in that same psalm where he talks about while I was being formed in my mother's womb, you knew me. There's never been a moment when you have existed that God wasn't watching. He didn't know you. He has always known you. Jeremiah, the 24th chapter and verse 6. This is Judah. This is the children of Israel being carried away into Babylonian captivity. And he says, my eyes will search over them for their good. So even while they're being punished, he says, my eyes are watching over them for their good. Does that ever happen with parents? Even when kids are acting up, parents are still watching over them, right? I want to turn to Psalms 33. I want to read verses 13 through 15. Psalms 33. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. Says God from heaven, he's watching. 
and he's watching individually. And he fashions their works. He knows you. He knows your gifts. He knows your abilities. And so tie this together. In Romans, the 12th chapter, Paul talks about the members of the body. And how there are many members in that body. And that each one is important to the body. They don't all have the same gifts. But they're all important. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And that's what Paul is saying. And that's what God wants us to understand. As another writer said, to know that you are seen is to know that you are understood. And to know that you are understood is to be encouraged. (laughs) How many kids do you know that have been discouraged because their parents didn't really look at them. If you were more like your brother, (laughs) if you were more like your sister, but I'm not my brother, and I'm not my sister. I'm me. (laughs) And Hagar named him the God who sees. He sees me. God sees each one. He knows each one is different. And that each one has a purpose. Now I want you to go back to Matthew the 6th chapter. Matthew the 6th chapter once again in verse 6. And I want to read that same passage again. I want you to notice what he's saying. Matthew 6, at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the reward? You know what the reward is? See, sometimes we want to pray and it's something I want to receive. See? (laughs) Go into your quiet place, go by yourself and ask the Lord and then He will just give you whatever you're asking for. Now you need to understand what he's saying. You go in your secret place and you pray between your father in secret and he sees you in secret. He knows who you are. He knows you just like Hagar, what you need. And your reward is knowing that God sees you. God is your reward. He sees you. And that's a reward. 
you ever see that kid that's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me? <laughs> and they want their mom or their dad to look at them. I don't want the, the mom or dad down the block <laughs> to look at me. I want them to look at me and know me and appreciate me for me. That's what he said. He sees you. He sees you in secret. He knows you. And to know that is to be encouraged. That's a blessing. <laughs> That's a reward. Why did Hagar go back? Oh, now I know. <laughs> Somebody's listening to me. Somebody knows me. Somebody sees me. I can get through this because I know somebody cares. You know, when we first become a Christian, sometimes, and even later too, sometimes we reflect back on, on our lives, right? And, and we stop and think, even when I was a knucklehead, <laughs> God was watching. God knew me. He was there. Even when I didn't want him to be there, he was there. And there was ups, there was downs. There was pleasure, there was pain. But he was there. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Jesus is getting ready to send the disciples out on what we refer to as the limited commission. And some of the words that he speaks to them to encourage them is to let them know that every hair of their head is numbered, counted. God knows them. And he says he sees every sparrow that falls. And you're worth more than many sparrows. Once again, it's just as important to notice what is said as what is not said. What is said is he sees every sparrow that falls. It does not say that once he sees you, you will never fall. Or that there will never be any pain in your life. It says that he sees every sparrow that falls. What's that mean? Well, by our own admission, we know that we don't always walk according to God's will, do we? And we know because we, us, do not walk according to God's will. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering in this world because we don't walk within His will. And so sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes we hurt other people. Sometimes we fall. So it doesn't mean that God stops the hurt. 
But what it means is this. He doesn't stop the pain, but He's always there to provide the healing. We're not going to talk about it today. <laughs> but do you remember the article about Jehovah Rophe? The God who heals. Zephaniah, the third chapter, once again, this is to Judah. And he says, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Judah, you're, you're going to suffer some pain. <laughs> but he'll quiet you with his love. Have you ever seen that with a, a, a parent and a child? Have you ever been on the receiving end as the child? Have you ever been on the giving end as the parent? They fall, they get hurt, and the mother, father, is there to pick them up, quiet them with their love. That's what he's saying. He will quiet you with his love. Psalms 32. And verse 8. It's going to be the conclusion, a little bit of a lengthy conclusion, but it's the conclusion. <laughs> Psalms 32 and verse 8, and, and I'm going to quote this from the King James Version because I like the way the King James Version says this. Psalms 32 and verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you shall go and I will guide you with my eye. What does that mean? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. You ever been standing and talking to somebody and it's like you're talking and maybe they're talking too. But it's like they're looking over here. <laughs> and so pretty soon you're like, what are you looking at? <laughs> And so you want to see what they see. What are you, what are you looking at? Well, that's what that's saying. I will guide you with my eye. What are you looking at, Lord? John, the fourth chapter. Familiar story. Jesus is at the well in Samaria. He's traveling with his disciples and they go into the village to get some bread, to get lunch. <laughs> and on their way, or while they're gone, there's a lady that comes from, a woman that comes from the village. The Samaritan woman. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans and she's a woman. <laughs> And she comes to the well and this conversation ensues between Jesus and this woman. And then pretty soon the disciples come back and they are amazed that he's having this conversation with her. But nobody really bothers to ask, why are you talking to her? But Jesus says this, lift up your eyes. 
where the fields are already white for harvest. Where was he looking? He was looking at that woman. And he was looking at the Samaritans. And as far as the disciples were concerned, they weren't even whole people. (laughs) And so they weren't concerned. So they needed to see where his eyes were. John the 8th chapter. There's a woman who is taken in adultery and they drag her out there before the crowd and they want to stone her. And Jesus says to them, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop the rocks and they go away. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? What were they looking at? They were looking at her. What was Jesus looking at? He was looking at her. You know who else he was looking at? He was looking at them. Let the one that is without sin cast the first stone. You think she's got sin? You know where my eyes are? I'm looking at you. And however much salvation she needs, you need just as much. Luke, the 22nd chapter. It's on the night that Jesus is betrayed. And Peter watches from a distance. I don't want to get too close. But Jesus has already told him, even though Peter has vehemently denied it. (laughs) He said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And so during that course of that evening, while they arrest him and while they drag him off to various trials and so forth, Peter follows along from a distance and he gets questioned. You know him? No, I don't. Second time, you know him. No, I don't know him. Third time, to the point where he even swears. (laughs) I don't know him. And just at that moment, the rooster crows. And Peter looks up. And guess who's looking at him? Jesus. You know what that means? Jesus was watching as Peter fell. But he gave up on him? No, he didn't give up on him. Jesus was watching him because he cared about him. And Peter would be given another chance. 
And when he got that other chance, he took it. See, God wants us to know. He is the God who sees. And he sees everybody. There are no invisible people. They are all important. Sometimes we don't see people. But he sees people. Whole people. And sometimes he knows us better than we know ourselves. Everywhere he looks, he sees a whole person. A person who's valued. A person who's loved. A person that he wants to know. I'm watching you. And you matter. So God sent Hagar back. But she went back knowing God sees her. That's the lesson. There's no invisible people. Everyone matters to God. And he wants us to see people the way he sees people. And he wants us to see us, ourselves, as he sees us. This morning, if we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord today, that's what we'd like to do. Knowing that God sees you and he values you. And we do too. And we want to help you to make your relationship right. The invitation is yours. While together we stand and while we sing.